yeah, no, I, I, I think he's great. Um, I, he's came down, he's told everybody that they should be working harder, and frankly, I agree with him. Uh, I should be working harder. I mean, I'm not going to, but I should be. Uh, if, you, if you're coming through with that angle, I, he's I right. can't disagree. I mean, everything is like pretty ship shape. No, I mean, Jensen has started uh, yeah. zipping up his fly on purpose. And, do you know, I got, I, I got my work done way more efficiently today. And, look, I'll never say it to the guy's face, but, quite frankly, Riker spends too much time fucking the crew and not enough time managing the crew. I say, come for permanent. A Frontier. These are the voyages of the podcast Captain's Slug. Its ongoing mission to explore strange new episodes, to seek out new jokes and new references, to split infinitives that no one has split before. Captain Slug, Stardate 64. These are the continued voyages of this fucking podcast as we watch all of Star Trek. Uh, I'm Eddie, this is Mark. How's it going, Mark? Uh, yeah, if you're, yeah, if you're starting from here, uh, <laughs> don't, don't bother. Just don't go back to the start. Just leave it. This is a... To be honest, this is a psychological trap that we have put ourselves in. <laughs> and uh, we're not even halfway through the show yet. Are we halfway through the show? Halfway through season? No, it'll be halfway through season four. Will be halfway through, right? Is that how numbers work? Yeah. Oh, so no, halfway through. Yeah, no, yeah, halfway through season four. Yeah. will be three and a half seasons through. Yeah. So fucking don't, don't, don't do it, man. Don't. <laughs> Just there's so many. The, the the world doesn't have a lot of time left, and <laughs> and like before, I would have said, listen. You are going to be dead before the world truly goes to shit. But now I'm starting to question that. So, like, you might be on even more borrowed time, James. And <laughs> all well, I'm saying is don't waste your time with this shit. Like, we're, we're, we're here. We've made a social contract with each other that we have to finish <laughs> this fucking show. And you're not you're not beholden to that, right? So, like, get out. Get out now. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. Anyway, how are you, Eddie? <laughs> I'm great. I'm great. I've watched I've watched an episode of Star Trek Next Generation twice because we left it for ages between podcasts and I couldn't remember what happened in this. Yeah, I've got well I say I'm good. I've got two broken toes as a result of dropping a sun lounger on them in Crete. As I, as I like to call them my holiday snaps. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, and I've got a fresh tattoo. So I'm in like a significant amount of self imposed pain and I'm getting the correct amount of sympathy for that from my girlfriend which is you know none so <laughs> that's did you know that's how um that's how British soldiers used to get themselves sent home from the trenches in World War One. what they drop a sunbed on there yeah <laughs> it's weird that they have them out there because you don't you don't but a lot of people don't realize that the song did happen in the summer so yeah it was really muddy but you could get a decent tan yeah exactly yeah Nobody ever talks about the sunburn at Gallipoli. 
but it must have been a nightmare. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it is annoying because it's like, look, we get it. Obviously, it was harsh, right? We know it was harsh because people started writing poetry about it. People very rarely <laughs> write poetry about things that they feel great about, right? So, they, they, in fact, not only did they start writing poetry, they wrote an entire new genre of poetry, right? So, I, I, I know this is a hot take, but the, the trenches in World War One must have been a bit of a bummer, right? No matter what side <laughs> you're on. But, yeah, the fact that no one has ever liked the sunburn was pretty bad, I think is, <laughs> is kind of a bit of a betrayal, because it's like, yeah, like, obviously, like, 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 yeah, you were like, what new thing can you give me about the horrors of the trenches that I could possibly, like, relate to more than, like, on hearing it again? Like, if I see a film that's, like... <laughs> if I see a film that's, like, oh, man, they were in the trenches and they were, like, covered in, like, their best friend's guts and all that, and, like, any every time they stood up, they all had sore backs because every time they stood up straight, they were, like, at danger of being sniped. I'm like, yeah, that's fine, but I've seen this, right? But see if you released a film that was called something like this search, the search for Vera, right? <laughs> Where everybody's like, oh, this will be about Vera, Vera Lind, who was, you know, quite a famous, like, if we'll meet again, right? I don't know if that's a World War Two song or whatever. <laughs> It's a World War Two song, but I think she was she must have been alive during World War One. I. I don't know. I, I don't. I know very little about Vera Lynn's actual career. Yeah, I'd be surprised if she really started when she was what eighteen. Is that how long it took? <laughs> Sidebar: Did you know that uh, the song that Leanne Rhymes recorded for the Nicolas Cage masterpiece Conair, "How Do I Live Without You," uh, was recorded when she was fourteen years old? Creepy. <laughs> but anyway, right. So, the, so this, 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 pro, this, this movie, they search for Vera, right? You go in, you've got your fucking your your poppy day people. They're like, oh, we're all patriotic, man. We're gonna go and see this program about Vera Lynn. Um, and then it turns out it's just about a bunch of guys, like the sort of clerks of the trenches, right? They're like Randall and Dante, who don't really have to do anything because their <laughs> trench is like quite far away from the Germans. And uh, they've just got sunburn, and they're just cutting about <laughs> trying to find some aloe vera, which they've heard grows naturally in the fields of Flanders. <laughs> <laughs> Copyright Mark O'Neill. <laughs> I'd be, I'd relate to that man. Yeah, I'd, 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 it'd be a good side mission in a World War Two, a World War One video game. You just got to get some fucking after sun. What pop culture would they talk about? Because if they're super bored and it is just like clerks, because I think every, I think every situation in the history of mankind requires like a clerks, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like for example, could you imagine how bored the cunts were inside that Trojan horse? <laughs> <laughs> just two guys, man, just pure squeezed up against the side. Like, yeah, did you catch? Uh, did you catch that 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 play last night? <laughs> 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 isn't that kind of what the uh, isn't that kind of what the fucking original premise of this podcast was <laughs> we should go back to that man see for season 4 we should go back to doing it in universe just really confused James <laughs> cut this bit out so he doesn't hear this I love the idea of the two, of two guys just sat in a traction horse going well you know Wonder if I wonder if they'll remember this. Well, not them. Obviously, they'll all be dead. But I wonder if anybody will remember this. I don't want because we fought a long and hard war, and I don't want this all to be about. I don't want the retelling of this to be all about the horse. <laughs> and it seems like this is lacking honour somewhat. And then, and then his pal sort of like 
blocker Dontrates. Uh, they could just be called Dante, I guess. That's what. Turns around to him and he's like, "Yeah, but to be fair, it is a pretty stunning horse." Like, <laughs> do you think the guy that came up with the Trojan horse plan got the rest of the day off, <laughs> or do you think he just got squashed into a big giant horse? I I think that there was probably some discussion like, "Well, if we made it an elephant, the legs will be thicker, so we can fit more people in it." And they were like, "Yeah, that's a good point." But unfortunately, during the Greek pantheon of gods, nobody, none of the gods have, none of the gods have any tie-in with elephants, so we can't do that. But if, but if we do a horse, that's Poseidon, because weirdly he's the god of horses and the sea. I assume <laughs> because of sea horses. <laughs> so we'll do, we'll do that, and then they'll think we just made a big horse because we wanted safety on our trip home and that's a sentence that makes sense in the old times because people in the past mark i don't know if you're aware of this were thick yeah uh, <laughs> there's one other problem with doing the elephant right is um and and the horse i've thought about this quite a lot right the, the bit the thing about doing a horse is that a horse the sort of body of the horse is a perfect storage compartment right yeah and you stand it on the thin legs no one can go down the legs that's fine that's great now, if you do an elephant, the problem is you're going to be tempted to stuff a couple of guys doing those legs. And those legs are closer to the... Was it the Trojans that got the horse delivered? Yeah, it's called the Trojan horse, but despite the fact it was a Greek horse and they rolled it into Troy. So really, the Trojans are getting a bad rap here. <laughs> see the, yeah, see, the problem is if you're tempted to stuff a bunch of guys down the legs, those guys are going to be closer to the Trojans that are going to be wheeling the thing in, right? And like when they start pulling it, <laughs> and it starts moving, then the guys outside the legs go, oh, right? They're going to be like, what the fuck? <laughs> is, this a, is this elephant haunted? But if you do it, if you do the horse, everyone can lie down in the belly. So, yeah, so I, I imagine quite a lot of strategic planning went in. How long do you think it took them to build that horse? <laughs> <laughs> to build it, in a way that, like, first of all, you got to let the enemy see that you're building it. They're, oh, they're going home, so of course they're tradition. They're building the traditional horse. <laughs> uh, that's what they do. But, but, but also not build it in a way that gives away from a distance that is hollow. <laughs> <laughs> how many? <laughs> how many? How many guys? Right? Do you think? How many guys do you think that the the Greeks had to put undercover into the city of Troy? Right? To just. To just go around pubs, right, and just start laying the groundwork for like, we heard what the Greeks do when they uh, retreat. They, they they tend to give the 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 host to say gift horse, and just like just like have five guys go out and just like start spreading this rumor. But spread it to the guy in the pub that like loves to sound the smartest. So fine. So go go there on like pub quiz night, right? <laughs> like bribe bribe the host. Right, to quit. round number two, question number three. What traditional gifts do the Greeks give when they leave a city that they have been uh, warring with? Uh, some guys like a camel, he's like, no, camels, fun fact, native to uh, North America, but he didn't know that. But anyway, no, uh, the, uh, the correct answer is the horse, right? And then just after a week, everybody's like, oh, I can't wait till we get this fucking horse. That's what I would have done, man. Because then when the hot, like, because then when the horse comes, like, no one would be suspicious. <laughs> be like, ah, oh, horse is here. The horse, the horse delivery has arrived. So you're suggesting there's a meeting where they all sit around and go, right? I've got a way of getting us in to Troy. Here's what we do: build a wooden horse, put some people in it. They'll wheel it in, and then they can come out of the horse and they can kill the guards and they can open the gate. You go, okay. But to make sure they do that, first we're going to have five guys sneak in. And those guys are going to start spreading this rumour. And then nobody in the room just goes, 
why, why don't the five guys who sneak in just open the door? Because <laughs> <laughs> that'll have wasted all the money that we spent bribing all the quiz hosts. It's like, because we're already halfway through building the fucking horse. Honestly, I didn't expect this much pushback, so I just said yes. I said yes to the horse mission. Look, we came up with this horse idea after quite a lot of cocaine and booze, right? And the fact is, we were so high that we built half it. <laughs> anyway, speaking of things that took their time sneakily uh, stealthing their way inside Troy, this is a wharf episode. <laughs> Come up with that on the fly. (laughs) (laughs) Good one. That's very good. It is a wolf episode. It's a it's a it's a good one. This I really like this. It's really good. I really I enjoyed this quite a bit. There was lots to love. Tony Todd. Yeah. Uh, Tony Todd. Yeah. Who, if if you don't know, is the Candyman, which I will only say. No, there's not Maria. I can say again, Candyman. <laughs> Just got to be careful. Does the reflection from my screen count? I don't know, man. I didn't see the... Uh... I've only ever seen Candyman 1. Right. I assume there's more. I think there's like three of the originals. I didn't see the Jordan Peele produced one, although I heard it was great. Yeah. But I, th- I think that might dive into the, the implications of like the lore. I know that to advertise it, they had the, the, candy, the Candyman on, stuck on the mirror in the the cinema like five times and that's just basking for trouble yeah I don't, I don't even know how that works but have we ever heard from the person who put that poster up or is he dead by bees what how does Candyman ca- uh, look, anyway. uh, he has, uh, yeah I think he has a hook but he kills using the method of bees yeah I think yeah that hook is just to open doors to let bees in <laughs> <laughs> Hello, it's the candy man. Here's your bees. <laughs> Sorry, what? Ah! <laughs> next time, see. Next time he tries that, he's like, oh, "I'm not letting you with all those bees." And he's like, "Oh well, I'll leave you this horse." <laughs> <laughs> don't open it up. There's definitely don't worry, don't worry about why it's buzzing. There definitely isn't five thousand bees in there. <laughs> <laughs> Now I want a horse-shaped beehive. Uh... <laughs> uh, uh, right, so Worf. Oh, uh, we go, we get a nice bit of continuity. Uh, yeah. The, the Klingons are doing a reverse officer swap uh, after uh, Riker went to hang out on the Pog. Um, yeah. So they're now sending a, a, a Klingon first officer to, uh, to take over from Riker. And... Uh, yeah, turns out Tony Todd. Yeah, and uh, he comes on. He starts a certain dominance immediately when he, uh, when Wesley is uh, whispering at the back of class, and uh, <laughs> he refers to him as acting ensign crusher. Yeah, his correct rank. Boom. Yeah, fair, fair play. Love Kern. Uh, I also love that Kern. Kern basically arrives on the ship and decides to immediately get under Wolf's skin by being very polite to him and saying that he's good at his job <laughs> yeah. which drives Worf insane <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's absolutely brilliant I never get any praise on this ship <laughs> I don't like it <laughs> I keep getting be- I keep getting beaten up by old men 
and Picard has the appropriate reaction to that. <laughs> I, I like that Kurt establishes that even in the year space year 2400 or whatever it is white people can't use spices <laughs> <laughs> to be fair that bud looks dry as fuck <laughs> like why i mean i know how how does a replicator work like because right, for a bud for a, for a bud to, to come out of the replicator that dry oh no is it not real meat do they not in in honor of no they replicate it but it's it's real caviar oh that's right Picard has because the replicators can't get caviar right apparently, or more accurately, Picard is a snob. Yeah. <laughs> you you would have to specifically ask for the driest turkey in the world, because um, I assu- I assume that Christmas is still a thing. Yeah. Right. So it's appeared in it's appeared in Star Trek Generations. So yes, Christmas yeah, exists. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you you would you would presume that people are eating turkey. Once a year. Now, I think people should eat turkey a lot more. I, I don't like the anti-turkey lobby. The people who say that, oh, turkey's... If turkey was so good, why don't we eat it all year round? I'm like, I do. Now, let me make that exact same argument about cranberry, because cranberry is fucking dire. <laughs> and if it was a real ingredient, you would have it in everything. But you don't, so that's why you're all wrong about cranberry. <laughs> yeah, to be, like... I like I like that I like that Troy finds it really funny that he's taking the piss at a war as well. <laughs> <laughs> I like that he's like talking sitting at dinner and he's like, Oh yeah, no, I've had some trouble adjusting to the ship. Just earlier today I had to restrain myself from killing Riker. <laughs> and everybody at the table's like a bit taken aback by this, except for Riker, who laughs. Because like Riker's very much a guy like, I would have liked to have seen you try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> I have yet to see a situation I can't fuck or fight my way out of. Which would you prefer? (laughs) (laughs) Right, but I I, I agree with you that turkey does look dry. I imagine it's gone to the replicator and gone, can we have a turkey please? But can you make it look like it's been sat on set all day? Uh... (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, so then we find out, shock twist, the reason that Kern has been so polite to Worf is that he is, in fact, also son of Moog. Yeah. Uh, Worf's brother, who survived the Kitimar disaster. By not being there. Yeah. The Kitimar, like, massacre, Technically, basically... that is surviving. Is it... Who, who has, has that joke? Is it is it Dimitri Martin? Technically, we're all 9-11 survivors. <laughs> well, here's the thing, right? The Kitimar disaster... Okay, um, a massacre. Everyone died except for Worf, right? That's that's what we've been told. So by the end of this episode, the Kitama massacre is three times less bad because it turns out there was a whole bunch of fucking people at Kitama who fucking survived. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you should have been there at that trial and made that point, seen what happened. <laughs> yeah, it's like, there's three people here who are alive. Kitama weren't that bad. Maybe you should send the Romulans a fruit basket. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I, I was talking a lot about it. I've never seen the Undiscovered Country. Uh, that's oh. the that's the one with the Kitimer, with all this business, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, Michael Dorn so. is in it as Worf's dad, right? Possibly. It's I, I can't remember. I've only seen the Undiscovered Country like once. Yeah. 
um, a long time ago. But it's definitely... Uh, I got a sneaking suspicion that may, there's like several things that happen at Kitama that aren't just unrelated historical events. But I, 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 can't, I did look at the Wikipedia page when I originally watched this episode. And there's the accords, there's there's a second set of Ketema accords, which are during the Dominion War. Yeah. So God knows. Yeah, it's it's all very confusing. And Dax was there as well. Yeah, why not? Yeah, because <laughs> it's, it's, it's the closest Star Trek gets to being like Star Wars, where, you know, everybody is related to one family and one series of events are the only thing important that happened in the universe. Star Trek tends to avoid that bullshit quite a bit. Yeah. You don't get too much of that because there's enough good characters across various iterations who aren't related to each other. Yeah. The 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 one the, the way I think that Star Trek really does it right though. Uh and we got some of this in uh, Picard season 3 is the Battle of Will 359. Yeah. Like that's like like you could basically any character you could drop a reference to. Oh, they were at or something happened to do with them at the Battle of Wolf Three Five Nine, and I'll and I'll buy it. Like I'll I'll accept that as yeah. <clears throat> perfectly adequate character motivation because that was a shit show, and uh, it was Picard's it, fault. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a ball cube turned up and wiped out like two thirds of the fleet. So yep. therefore, if you're a Star Trek character who was alive during that time period, there is a two thirds chance that you were there. <laughs> yeah. And if you weren't there, there's a very high chance that someone you care about died. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So it's a fun little nexus point uh, when all those people die. But. Um, <laughs> So, so, uh, we, so it's revealed, of course, that not only is uh, Kern uh, Worf's brother, uh, but that the the their dad Moog is now being he dead posthumously put on trial as a traitor to the Klingon Empire for informing the Romulans about the secret security codes that will help them attack Katama. Yeah, which was super interesting. Well, it's the first. There's a lot of stuff in this. So this is the first mention of House Juras, who are the people bringing this claim against them. And House Juras uh, is probably less famous for this guy who represents them. But the Juras sisters are in, um, I think, um, Generations. Um, They become a sort of recurring Klingon bad guys throughout the series. So that this 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 episode establishes a lot of basically the template of what is Klingon society. And I, what I find really interesting about it is, I, I think Worf, as somebody who's not been raised and put inside the Klingon Empire, in a weird way, kind of exemplifies what it is to properly be a Klingon more than somebody. Like if you if you were born, if you were like British and you were raised in another country and very uh, had like just a, a like just saw your culture from a distance. You would believe that like Britain was all about like fair play and politeness and manners and stuff like that, and maybe come to exemplify those qualities. Whereas yeah. those of us that live here know that this country is a hateful shit show, uh, <laughs> in which in which um, if you've got the right accent, you basically get to do whatever you want and then get paid a million quid by the Daily Mail. Who I, I just like I just want to say one thing, Mark, because I can say this now completely free of any worry of any lawsuit the daily mail employs liars 
that's a true fact that you can say anytime somebody mentions the Daily Mail, and if they get annoyed at you for doing it, just point out that it's true. <laughs> the Daily Mail employs liars who lied to the Queen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right to her face. Yeah, to uh, her goddamn face. <laughs> I don't even like the royal family, but even I think that's incredibly cunty. <laughs> yeah. I saw Jacob Rees-Mogg the other day say he's not going to turn down his honour because that would be an insult to the king. And it's like, it would be an insult to the king if you turned down an honour from a man who organised the party on the eve of his dad's funeral. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But anyway, I, 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 maybe it would be better in the Klingon system where Boris Johnson would be murdered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, I, uh, I, it's, I'm perpetually fascinated by the Klingons. Like, I, I think the most interesting thing about the Klingons, as to what you were just saying there, is that to the casual observer, and especially when Star Trek gets parodied by people who don't know Star Trek, uh, is that the Klingons are kind of one note. Yeah. Like, they're just like, oh, they're into honour and they're into violence. And it's like, they're not really, like... Well, they are, but that's but that's just their thing. But, but, there's, but there's so many layers. I love finding out more about the Klingons. I think they're an incredibly interesting society. And speaking of the parodies, like, the, like Boris and the Orville, um, like, Seth MacFarlane... I mean, obviously, Seth MacFarlane really understands Star Trek. He made the best <laughs> modern Star Trek. <laughs> but, uh, although I'm loving Carol Kane in Strange New Worlds, uh, and yep. she's fantastic, uh, and I can't wait for more <laughs> of her. Uh, she's never, apparently, she's never seen a single second of Star Trek. <laughs> when she revealed that to the writers, they were like, don't watch any. This is better. Because <laughs> you're, you're a lunatic, mate. <laughs> but, eh... Uh, but yeah, like Bortus, like the, the what's the name of his race again? I can't remember. Uh, the Mocklins. The Mocklins, yeah, and it's like the Mocklins are like, yeah, they're super violent and they're like real hard asses, but also they're really loving and uh, yeah, of, of their children, and some of them are quite tolerant. Um, because the like we get to see because this this is a one of the best genre of Star Trek episodes is always the courtroom episode, and this time we get to see a Klingon courtroom. Which is incredibly respectful. Like you would, you would kind of imagine that it would be a case of like, all right, you've been, you've been fucking accused of a crime. So here's like a bat left. Go and fight to the death. And if you, and if you win, you're you're innocent. But it's like no, they seem to have like really specific <laughs> codes of law. The the idea of the sins of the father, which is the title of this episode, moving on to the sons, is is sort of questionable. But then, is it? Because obviously, again, we judge things by our standards and by the standards of our, of the Federation, because that's based on ours. But what we will learn more about the Klingons going forward is that the Klingons have had a fucking tough paper round of it. Like the fact that they <laughs> exist as a society at all is like really commendable. So I like that the one thing I always really like is the how respectful the Klingons are in general to Picard. Because yeah. the, the Klingons in general have a thing where they kind of look down a bit on the Federation for like being soft and having like comfortable ships and stuff like that. But also the Klingons fought a massive war against the Federation and they didn't win. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it came down to a, like they came down, there had to be a peace treaty where they were like, we are 
going to wipe each other out. And there's a, there's an element to that where I'm like, where the Klingons must be like, well, no, they look they look soft, and they like drink tea with their like, pinkies up and all of that. But they will fucking destroy you. Oh, they will <laughs> fuck you up. Like, yeah, and there's, exactly. there's probably a little bit where they know because, like, that that Picard's got a fake heart because he's been stabbed in the chest because of a bar fight he got into. Like that guy's, we don't, he's we don't court. mess. Because yeah. I like that Worf. So, like, Worf's brother is his like second in this situation, but he also Shaggy. says, "You're not to tell anyone you're my brother, in case I'm found guilty and put to death. I don't want you put to death." And then he gets stabbed by an assassin, um, so he's out of action, and he goes and asks Picard, and Picard. Very brilliantly goes, look, I appreciate that you've asked me to do this. It's I understand that it's an honour, but I also understand that there are younger and fitter men who, if this turns violent, you'd want it in your corner. And Worf's like, no, no, you are. I, could, I genuinely respect you enough as a warrior that I would want you to have my back. And then Picard does it. I mean, again, I would have picked Data. <laughs> <laughs> when um, when uh, Worf asks Picard to be as Shadich. Um yeah. I, I took down one note and then I amended it later. I said, that's great captaining from Picard there for joining Worf. Uh, oh no, sorry. I said, Picard learning about a Klingon is the respectful thing to do. And then I looked up the, the making of the episode and Ronald D. Moore, the saviour of, of Next Gen, said, Patrick and I were at the Saturn Awards together and he made a really good suggestion. When Worf is asking Picard to be as Shadich, Picard originally says a single Klingon word, but Patrick thought it would be nice if Picard knew the whole line of ritual. And at that time, there wasn't a formal ritual, and there wasn't one for Kern either. So I went back and wrote a line for him to say in Klingon, and just tied it oh. up which is, that's super cool. Yeah. It's, it's one thing that's really good about, whenever you read stories about Next Gen, is clearly how much everyone involved in it cared about the show they were making. Yeah. Like and it's stuff like that, but I, I also like that when Wolf originally goes to Picard and he's like, "Oh, okay, my my family's been dishonored. I I need to go back to to the Klingon Empire to fight for that. So I need a leave of absence." And Picard's like, well, "No, I'm not. Well, I'm going." Yeah, <laughs> it's like what well, goes. This seems like you might get murdered for a situation that isn't. I I can utterly justify this to the like higher ups as an actual. You know, business trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can get expenses for this. <laughs> get a per diem. Do you know what I've written down in my notes? And like, because obviously we I wa- we watched it and then we rewatched it again like three weeks later. What one of my notes? And I don't I don't know what the context is, but I'm gonna I I, I don't even want to figure it out. It's just a quote. You're about to get Sun Zooed, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, because there's a bit in this where Picard is like, he's just there at first as an observer, and the Klingon council was like, oh, having a, a, a senior officer say that you're an incredibly respected and valuable part of their team is actually something we as Klingons are fully on board with. That accounts carries a lot of weight. I did wonder a little bit, would it carry more weight if that was Kirk? <laughs> well, the Klingons would be like, no, he's a fucking mad bastard. <laughs> well, the thing because the... I don't know if they actually go into this in the Wrath of Khan or if uh, it's kind of apocryphal. But in the Prime Universe, the way that Kirk cheats the Kobayashi Maru is that he programs himself into the Klingon archives as a great war hero. <laughs> <laughs> so that when Kirk shows up and, he, and they're like, no, you can't come out of the neutral zone to rescue the ship, Kirk's just like, guys. 
it's all it's all Jimbo. Uh, and they're like, oh yeah, fine, let him through it. Because <laughs> that's the thing is that with the Klingons, like like the honor stuff, they talk a big game. But that's exactly the sort of sneaky that they'd respect. Yeah, because <laughs> like, that's what no, they had. Like um, Kern gets stabbed, and they're like, oh yeah, he's been stabbed with the ceremonial uh, like blade of an assassin. So sneaking up behind your enemies and killing them isn't just honourable in Klingon War. It's so honourable, it's got its own knife. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's kind of that thing as well. But it's like, I like we and we have this concept of like stolen valor. Uh, well, the US does of like the people that buy like like army uniforms and shit and use it to get on like planes faster or whatever. But I could imagine if in the Star Trek universe, if you programmed yourself into the Klingon archives as a great war hero with like nothing to back that whatsoever, <laughs> and the Klingons found out, I imagine they'd be like, "Yeah, that took a lot of balls, man." Like, you know, like that's. Do you know what? You are kind of awesome. Like, yeah, and then and then. And then proceeded to the and then and then proceeded to then be Kirk for twenty years. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> yeah. It's like no, yeah. It's like that's a ballsy move. Let's see if he can back it up. Oh, yeah, nice. <laughs> I'm genuinely excited uh, that they've brought Kirk back for more Strange New Worlds. It seems from what I hear, because the reviewers have only had the first six episodes. Uh, they haven't mm-hmm. had the lower decks crossover yet, which is the thing I'm most excited about. Have you seen the clip of that where Boinler is saying to him, he says to, <laughs> he says to Mike, whatever you, where goes, unfortunately, what, before you even ask, we can't tell you anything about your future. And Pike says, oh, I already know about my future. And Boinler looks at him and goes, what, even the beep beep chair? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, wrote, and Pike's response is to go, especially the beep beep chair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because it was uh, it was Freaks that directed it, um, oh. and he was like, the presence of those two characters, like you can't, you 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 can only really go one way. You can't really turn comedy into drama, but you can turn drama into comedy. Um, so like the presence of those two characters, and he said even the actors on set, because those two are like super funny. They kind of come from that background. Um, they said it, it gave everyone else the permission to be funny. Apparently, the episode is fucking hilarious. <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I can't, I can't wait. But uh, but the but this new Kirk, the, the uh, Paul something or other, uh, yeah, he uh, he shows up apparently like a fair bit in this season. I'm really really excited because he is an excellent Kirk. Yeah, I I liked him. I very much liked it in Strange was the first time Kirk is mentioned. It turns out it's not. Kirk, Jim, it's his brother, and yeah. then when they meet Jim Kirk, he calls him up to the bridge, and he's like, uh, like Pike calls him up to his bridge and goes, "How would you, uh, how would you describe your brother?" And he's just like, "Oh Jesus!" <laughs> 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 like his response is typical, like the the old, like he's my younger brother, so I hate to say this, but he's a damn fine Starfleet captain, and but but also a rampaging psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there was a good tweet that I saw the other day. Uh, which is that the um, the Enterprise isn't actually the flagship of the Federation, but the thing is, what they do is they take that their most what was it morally righteous but criminally um, <laughs> insane. Import, like insane <laughs> officers put them on the Enterprise and just tell them that it's the flagship, so that they'll <laughs> maybe consider that when they think about how much crime they're going to do. 
It's up late. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, something I, I looked up because of this episode. Um, I decided that I was actually going to look up what Kapla means. Um, and it basically means that you're wishing somebody success in their future endeavours, basically. Oh, that's You're going like, Kapla, like success for you and your house or whatever. Yeah. So it's it. Yeah. Um, we haven't even got to the actual plot of this episode yet, which is it turns out. Moog's the the Moog's being framed because the information has come to light and it basically it's Duras is dad who screwed them. Everybody knows this, and but the Klingon Empire are like the Duras are an incredibly wealthy and powerful house. It could cause a civil war. We don't want that. So we didn't know Kern was alive. So we figured we'd throw Moog under the bus. You'd never even hear about it, Wolf. Yeah, uh, and then we could just all move on. Yeah, and then Wolf's like, "Well, well, I have heard about it, and no." <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But the the best thing, I mean, this this episode, like, Worf is one of those characters, and we've kind of fast forwarded a little bit with obviously having seen Picard season three. Like, Worf is the character with the most growth, and it, not even growth in kind of becoming more human because i don't think that's what he's what he's doing he is just becoming the best klingon that he can um even if that means kind of like becoming like the kind of warrior monk like the kind of pacifist but also he'll fuck you up because it's like well clearly that is a klingon's idea of what a pacifist is a pacifist in klingon is a non-violent person um, it's just it's like a pacifist. It's somebody who doesn't throw the pulse the first punch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but Worf kind of and Ronald D. Moore, he he talks about it as well. Uh, he said, uh, "I was in love with Sins the Father, and I fought for it when there was some question about which way we were going to go with it." I really like the fact that Worf took it on the chin that episode. It said he was willing to stand up and do the right thing for his people, even if they weren't going to do the right thing by him. Yeah. Yeah, because really that's how, how how this ends is that basically Worf agrees that because it's a fit up, he's not going to let them kill him, which honor demands. But he will let them, um, like basically decling on him. He yeah. doesn't have a house or any honor, and they all turn their back on him. And in my head, I had the music from the Mighty Boosh play. <laughs> ding, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> but yeah, Kern's separate. And basically, the idea, like, Kern says, like, he doesn't understand it. And Picard explains to him, he's like, no, you get to walk away alive. And there will be a point in the future where you can, like, you can restore your family's name and honour. And or you can both die. That does which you can't win a fight against the entire Klingon Empire. Yeah. So you will die, and your father will be dishonored in history forever. So yeah. Um, but so because like the, the the better thing to do is to walk away, take that on the chin, do what's best, and in the future, absolutely destroy House Duras. Um, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because the because um, I. I it came from Kill Bill. Uh, the, at the very beginning of Kill Bill, there's a, 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 a quote that comes up on screen. Revenge is a dish best served cold. Um, and it says, old Klingon proverb, which is which is not true. It, it, that is a real <laughs> earth proverb. Um, I, I, don't, I don't even know if any Klingon has ever said that, but I could imagine that would be 
like a like a touchstone of their entire fucking culture is that leave it. There's a reference in one of the movies where one of the Klingons refers to preferring Shakespeare in the original Klingon. Um, yes, which is a great joke. Which is, is a, an incredibly loud joke that to explain to anybody who's not familiar with why that joke works, I would have to explain the entire concept of the Cold War, right? Yeah. <laughs> Basically, the Russians like to claim they'd invented a lot of stuff that they hadn't because it was good stuff and they didn't want to admit they owed anything to the West. The Klingons were the Russians. Uh, yeah, yes. Anyway, <laughs> but so uh, I, you, I think you can buy Hamlet in Klingon. So, <laughs> someone, someone has done it, uh, and. And apart and uh, on the on the like the, the not the Royal Shakespeare Company because they are the they're they're the the ones who like go out and do the performances the sort of Shakespearean um, the heritage sort of a, sort of side of things. Uh, they talk about it on their website. There is like a page devoted to um, Shakespeare done in fictional languages, and they say that like oh this is excellent like this. <laughs> like we, we don't really fully understand it because we don't speak Klingon, but when there's a Klingon translator there, someone who understands like the nuances of that language that tells us how this works, like this, it, it really works. Um, <laughs> and, and Laura and uh, Laura, who's who's you know is a kind of theatre person, likes to likes to theatre director and likes to produce stuff. Man, she was like, I wonder if we could convince the Globe to let us do. Maybe not the entirety of Hamlet and Klingon, maybe like an excerpt, but do like Hamlet and Klingon, do like Romeo and Juliet and Dothraki, uh, like just for like maybe even during like one of when one of the Comic Cons is on, just like in, in conjunction with it, because yeah, apparently the Hamlet Klingon is incredible. <laughs> um, my, my my part of that is my I have a personal dream, which is I want one day to manage to convince the globe to stage the. Um, Discworld play adaptions yeah. that were as like because because it, it'd be great but <laughs> but yeah it's I could oh man I could just doing like getting some guys like who speak Klingon in full Klingon outfits but then put on top of them period appropriate shape <laughs> yeah you need to do the heads and shit wouldn't you like <laughs> and it's like because I because Klingon is a language that that. The, the pronunciation, like the, the, the rhythm of the pronunciation is as important as the pronunciation itself. So I wonder how, what's with iambic pentameter. Yeah, I yeah. Just, I'd love to see it. It'd be super interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be. Oh, man. Because the thing is as well, like it's particularly that play works because of the theming of it works very well it, like I, I don't think you could do like Romeo like Romeo and Juliet and Klingon that wouldn't work so much but it's the theming of that particular play does work so nicely uh, <laughs> yeah um, what else have I got oh yeah I, I've, I've got written in my notes there is something in this episode and I, I don't use this term lightly which I, I wrote is almost Tolkien-esque which is um, so um Worf's old nanny is alive. She survived Kitima, and she, and basically um, Picard wants the, a few good men her, where he's going to have her turn up in court, um, and not actually have any information. But her being there is going to shit somebody up. Yeah. Um, uh, but her name is Kalest, which is well, the reason I put that is almost Tolkienesque. Is the like founding like hero of all Klingon culture is Kalest. And that is somebody has sat there who is a writer who understands Klingon culture and has gone, what would be a good name for a woman in, 
well, there would be a female version of Kayless, wouldn't there, if that name's that important? So I will give her the female version of that name. And I, yeah, and that, like that's a Tolkien like thing of like it's the reason everybody from the Rohirrim has Eo in their name because it's the word for horse in Row. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, I absolutely. I saw that and I was like, "That's that's fantastic, that's super cool." Yeah, I like that. Yeah, there's a um, there's a great video. I don't know if I've ever sent it to you. I I discovered it and I immediately got so excited that I sent it to the three linguists that I know because <laughs> uh, I I just I I don't know what it is about my particular friends, but the and the thing is like none of none of them are my, well they are my friends now they've become my friends. Uh, but they, none of them were originally my friends. They are all partners of my friends. I don't know what it is about people that I gravitate towards who then themselves are gravitated towards or gravitate linguists. Um, <laughs> but it's cool, man, because I, I love having discussions about it. Like I think linguistics like super fascinating. Uh, but there's a good, there's a really good video, and it's the bloke who created the Klingon language for Search for Spock. Because right. originally, in the original series, the Klingons were, like, very thrown together. They were like, oh, they're kind of the Chinese and also the Russians, maybe, and, like, a bit of brown face or whatever, and they wear gold, and they have a language, but it's just all sound. Um, and then for the search for Spock, they decided, no, let's make that an actual language. Um, and it's a the dude who came up with it... Um, and it's basically him in front of a whiteboard filmed, like, vertically on a mobile phone. Uh, from like 12 years ago Um, and he's just going through like his thought processes of how the language would work be like well I'll put an L and a comma here but then if this is a if this is an adverb then it has to have a this and if it's a proverb or if it's a a pronoun then there'll be a this this sort of change to it and it's like and, and that's why it's like a real language that's why you can translate things into it because it's so well thought out like, like Star Trek. Like I love Star Trek. Right? I think everyone should watch Star Trek, um, at least a couple of episodes, just to be like, here's what it is. Here's what it's all about. If you like it, if you like the messaging, you can go for it. But at the same time, like, there's a lot of people out there who are like, Star Trek is the nerdiest thing in the history of nerds, and you can't deny that. It is. <laughs> no, you can't. Of course, it is. No, it's it's one of those things where I just want to tell people is like, right, for for the foreseeable future as the human race extends out into space, we are going to consistently name ships Enterprise. Yeah. Now, you can get on board with that, or you can not. But if you're not going to get on board with that, you should probably at least watch one episode, one or two episodes of Star Trek to understand why we're doing it, because this yeah. is important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I stumbled across a linguistic thing the other day that um, um fascinating. So, first of all, if, if you don't follow the YouTuber Rob Words, you should. He's great. Right. Um, and he did a video on a thing called Anglish, which is, um, it's English. It's somebody has basically attempted to rewrite English. Uh, and they've written a, a dictionary or word book for it. because And it's basically without uh, foreign words. So it's like something you could. So that's why oh. they have a word book rather than a dictionary. Um, and it's like a lot. It's very interesting. They um, uh, there's like newspaper. Like there's a news website that does like news articles in English. And it's 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 interesting because it's interesting because there's a lot of like words that have snuck in and they, they use old words that have been like ignored or they like do what would be the modern version of the word 
And it's one of those things, it's really very interesting. But also, the guy that um, he was speaking to for the episode refused to appear on camera. And given that it's about keeping foreign words out, I'm, I'm slightly concerned that it's one of those things that is an interesting intellectual exercise, but is also deep down at its roots going to turn out to be linked to horrible racists. So um, Yeah, you'd think, I mean, like if the guy lives in London, I do understand because you're lucky enough to get a second bedroom. So if you're going to have your desk and your Nazi memorabilia in there, like that's, <laughs> that's understandable, you know what I mean? But you could at least face the camera the other way. But no, um, but I, I got into it because I, I was basically, I was linked to it by somebody I follow for like D&D stuff on Twitter. And they were like, this is how your old timey magistrate in your village should probably speak. Uh, and I was yeah. like, oh, that's interesting. But yeah, I love like, I love that like, I love when people take stuff seriously for like stuff like this. Like the fact that like the Game of Thrones guys got a linguist in and was like, we need you to design Dothraki. Why? Because yeah. we know we know ahead of time that people are going to end up taking the show very seriously. I mean, not us, obviously. We're we going to piss it all up a wall in the last two seasons. But but nerds, yeah. <laughs> you pile the merch. Yeah, we're going to we're going to get seven solid years of people buying this merch, and we need to milk it as much as we can. Because after the minute we finish the series, they're not buying a damn thing. No. <laughs> I've been. I've had so many people try to get me to watch House of the Dragon by going, "Oh, it's good." I'm like, "Yeah." So was Game of Thrones. It's not. I'm not worried that it's not going to be good now. I'm worried that in seven years it's going to kick me in the butt. So Laura and I watched House of the Dragon, and I think I talked about it on this podcast, man. She's like a massive Game of Thrones fan. I I'm very, I'm kind of here and there. Like I. I think I like Game of Thrones as much as she likes Star Trek. Um, and that I I like it, and I maybe if I noticed a good episode was on, I'd put it on in the background or something. But I was I was never huge into it. Like I would never really go. I would never watch it without her. And House of the Dragon, I kind of feel the same way. I'm like, I'll watch it with her. Like I'm having a nice time watching this. It's good. It's fun. It's violent. It's it's interesting. Paddy Constantine's really fun in it. My problem with House of the Dragon is that. Um, Every character has the same name and looks exactly the same as each other. And every now and again, they'll do a time jump and it'll be different actors playing the same characters. And I'm like, I literally have no idea who any of these people are. Like, I, I, I recognise Matt Smith because he is a Doctor Who and uh, the rest of them, not a fucking scoop. Not a scoop. Yeah. And then, and then it, the problem is it's like, I think, I think I've said this before but as well, but I tried to read The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Okay. And my brain, if I don't understand how to pronounce a name inside my own head, I won't mispronounce it or anything. I'll just, what I'll do is I'll, I'll tell my brain to just recognise that word by sight and then just be like, okay, that person is here. The problem is everyone in that book has a Swedish name. So by the time <laughs> I was five pages in, I was like, I literally don't know who I'm even following here. I don't know who the characters <laughs> are. Right? Uh, so I had to give up on that and just watch the Fincher movie. Um, but the House of the Dragon is fucking like that, man. Because sometimes they'll be like, like if, if a character isn't on uh, on screen when someone refers to them, I don't know who they're talking about. 
<laughs> that's the same. The problem, to be fair, if you go back and watch the first episode of Game of Thrones, it's like, here are five actors who look more or less the same. They're all sons, wards, or the bastard offspring of Ned Stark. Um, anyway, good luck. Uh, bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately, exactly. the, the show did differentiate between the, those three lads by, well, well, killing one, um, sending one into exile, and having the other one's penis flayed off. Uh, I'm, so. I'm, I'm not a fantasy person, right? I, I mean, I like Discworld, uh, and I've like done a full 180 on The Lord of the Rings. I used to hate The Lord of the Rings. Uh, but then it turned out the reason that I hated Lord of the Rings is because I've exclusively... Like, I didn't see Return of the King for 10 years after it came out. Um, and it turned right. out the reason is that I had been exclusively trying to watch the extended editions, um, which um, sacrifice editing fidelity for absolutely fucking pointless character motivations. Um, so I I, like, I couldn't do it. Like I, The extended editions of Lord of the Rings... I don't care what Peter Jackson says, right? Those films suck as movies. Um, but I then went back and watched the theatrical ones. And I was like, oh, this is way better. Uh, and I really like these movies now. I've always thought of it this way. The movies as released in cinemas are movies for a movie-going public to experience Lord of the Rings. The extended versions are for people who are fans of the Lord of the Rings book to have as close to an experience of a faithful adaptation of those books as possible. That's that's how I kind of feel about it. It's like like I don't the book is like I love the extended versions, but that's because I love the books. And when I was watching the movies, it's like oh, I understand why they couldn't put that in. But it would have been cool if it was. And then then the, the movie's like oh yeah, this does absolutely ruin the pacing, but I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah. So Lord of the Rings. Uh, sorry, Game of Thrones like just doesn't it do, it doesn't appeal to me as as a thing that I would enjoy on my own. Um, on saying that, Skyrim is my desert island game. Yeah, like I'm yeah. I'm way into fantasy video games. Um, speaking of that, have you heard about Starfield? The, I um, haven't sci-fi watched um, so that, anything, but I but I am excited. Right. I can't wait. So. There was an uh, uh, there was a like uh, a joint thing where it was like Bethesda and their their people at Microsoft who are, are in charge of their Bethesda division, and basically they said this game is going to ship with the fewest bugs that any Bethesda game has ever shipped with, and that um, they were ready to release the game um, significantly before the deadline, and what. Reading between the lines is it's very clear that what happened is Bethesda went, so we finished making Starfield, and Microsoft went, Have you though? <laughs> <laughs> and they go, No, we can release this now. And, like, and then Microsoft went, How about this instead? Let's release it in a year's time, and we'll have everybody who works at Microsoft in QA test this game. Uh, and they did that. And then they were like, Oh, yeah, we never. F- Quality assurance. We've never considered putting that in a Bethesda game. But and I imagine they were sitting there going, but we've left this one bug in where this guy in this one colony like rotates 180 degrees and then flies off into the sky. Because if we don't put that in, people won't know it's a Bethesda game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, my my favourite Bethesda bug of all time was when they released the patch um, for Skyrim that fixed a bunch of the bugs that were in the first game, and it came out, and um, it did fix a lot of those bugs, but it also made the dragons fly backwards. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know, I don't... When we get... Because I, I reckon that we will get to... Like workable VR. I don't think we're going to get to holodeck in my lifetime. I, simply because we, we we would literally need to find a new way uh, like physically a, a new way of computing. Like silicon would need to be out. Like physics. Yeah. I, I watched a video the other day that was like, basically we can't get that much more storage on microchips because literally because we've reached the point where physics doesn't allow it anymore <laughs> yeah um we can't get that we can't get any smaller we might get better and more powerful but we can't physically get any smaller so i don't think we'll get to holiday uh but i do think we'll get to like workable vr like maybe even like a ready player one situation in my lifetime and i don't want bethesda to release things for that i i'm happy enough for bethesda <laughs> to release video games because I think the games are amazing, and also I love the bugs and think they're hilarious. But as soon as like as soon as it's like a chance that I be, I will be um, confusing my brain into thinking that this is the real world, maybe after some mushrooms or something, that'll be the only time that I'll ever play a Bethesda game. <laughs> yeah, no, I just yeah, I I don't want yeah, I don't want to be able to put a bucket over a man's head and then rob him blind. Um, in in VR, I think that would ruin the. <laughs> but the, yeah, yeah. Anyway, only one little thing I wanted to say. Um, there, this is a great episode overall. Like the 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 crew of the Enterprise work out why Moog's not guilty. All of that. It's all great. It's all good. There is only one small downside I had with this, which is I watched all of Star Trek: Next Generation when it aired. So I, I say all of it, most of it, um, and um, when they said they were going to the the Klingon Empire, man, I mean, this is a fine Klingon Emperor uh, that we meet. But it's not fucking Gowron. <laughs> <laughs> and any time that Gowron isn't in a Star Trek episode, it is worse for it. <laughs> <laughs> fucking crazy eyes Gowron as <laughs> leader of the Klingon Empire is one of the best things. I think it happens fairly shortly. I think it's in the next season. But uh, yeah, really good, really good episode of Star Trek. You should watch this one. Yeah. You should it. also watch any Strange New Worlds. It's, it's, it's banging. Do it. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye. The Captain's Slog is performed by Mark O'Neill and Eddie Edwards. You can follow us at Real Mark O'Neill on Twitter and at Romulan Ale on Twitter. You can follow the podcast at Captain Slog and get updates about our latest episodes. And if you really like what we do here, why not go to our Patreon? That's patreon.com forward slash Captain Slog. The Captain Slog is performed by Mark O'Neill and Eddie Edwards. You can follow both of them on Twitter and Instagram. Mark's at RealMarkO'Neill and Eddie is at EdEdwardsComedy. If you like the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and now on YouTube at Captain Slog. And we have a Facebook page as well. Or if you really like what we do here, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Captain Slog.